Welcome to the Liberty Podcast with your host, Pastor Robert Maxey, Senior Pastor of Liberty Church of Baton Rouge. It's our prayer that this podcast will be life-changing for you and that you will share it with someone else. Now, here is Pastor Rob. We have a tradition that only tradition is to stand for the Word of God, if you will. Stand with us as we honor God's Word. And the Word of God reads, Then Elisha died, and they buried him. Say, look at somebody say, they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders. And they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. When the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, say the bones, bones. he revived and stood on his feet. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning, God. We know that you are a reviver. God, that you rebuild, God, and and you revive. Father God, today, Lord, we ask that you rebuild and revive. God, someone's marriage needs reviving today, Lord. God, we need you to breathe breath into someone today, Lord. Rebuild, God, what was torn down, God. What was stolen, God, return. Father God, do what only you can do today, Lord. You can do, Lord. We may look like we're surrounded, but we know that we're surrounded by you. We love you today, God, and we pray, God, that you open our ears that we may hear what the Spirit has to say. So the kids are quiet, the cell phones are on silent as we lean into you. Your son Jesus' name we pray. Let everyone say amen. 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 You may take your seat. You may kick your shoes off if your feet don't stink. If they do, leave them on. Amen. How y'all doing this morning? Anybody know the Raiders? I'm not talking about the football team. A Raider is someone who takes spoils and plunder. As in war, uh, a, a raider is a group of, uh, of people that, that when they see a group or a company in shambles or disarray and unable to defend themselves, they attack to steal their supplies. Um, they may see an enemy or, or, or a group of people that look like they're in shambles. They look like they've already been attacked. They are are destitute there, are clinging on by a thread. They don't have much left, right? And they're they're just getting along the best that they can. They don't have the means of defending themselves. They they're they're basically just striving to get along, right? And 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 basically these raiders will see them in this predicament. And so their basic mentality is to take what's left. Uh, isn't that they, 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 they want to take what's left? They want to take what's what's remaining, and so they see them as easy for the picking, so they can take what's remaining. 
Isn't that like the enemy? Yeah. Right. The enemy comes in during times when things seem low and his goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. When things are at your lowest in life, uh, when, when everything is at their lowest, their job is to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy's plan for your life is to kill, steal, and destroy where God wanted to take you, where God wanted to do something in your life, the enemy's goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. Where God says, I had a plan for you. When he says, I had a plan for you, not to harm you, the enemy says, I come to kill, steal, and destroy that plan. Where he says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly, the enemy says, I come to kill, steal, and destroy that. So, so you got to look out for the enemy's plan. He is a raider. That's right. I hear him. He says, I come to kill and steal and destroy what's left. After 2020, he says, I know there's not much left. And I come to take it. But God said, no. From the beginning of time, God set these things in motion. The enemy said, I see what's good in the garden and I come to steal, kill, and destroy that. But God set things in motion to redeem us because we could not do it on our own. No matter what we tried, no matter what our efforts were, Moses couldn't do it, Noah couldn't do it, none of us could do it. We kept failing and no matter how, how hard we tried, we kept Failing, he told Moses to speak to the rock, and he he just couldn't do it. We kept failing, so 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 um, Genesis, Adam and Eve, they got swindled, they got bamboozled, and so Genesis three seven. Then their eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they did what most of us do. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. How many of us are making coverings for ourselves? We keep trying to cover up what's broken, cover up what's dirty, cover up because we feel naked. We're exposed. Our sin is exposed. Our our problems are exposed. We are exposed. And the only thing we can think is to cover it up and cover it up so no one can see our sin, see our problems and our circumstances. So we want to cover it instead of expose it and allow God to heal it. God, will you just heal what has been exposed? Heal what has been exposed in my heart. And God says, I want to heal it, but you won't give it so they hid it under a bunch of fig leaves after the fall in the garden Adam and Eve took fig leaves to cover themselves with and ever since then we've been using fig leaves to cover our mistakes maybe not fig leaves but it's the same concept Big leaves are biodegradable. They can't sustain you because they're dying as well. You want to cover yourself with something that is dying. You mean I want to cover my sin with something also that is dying? I want to cover myself with something that is dying as well. I want to cover myself with someone also who is dying. You mean I can't sustain myself with him who is 
dying or hurt, who is dying with things that I can't take with me that are rotting. Fig leaves can't cover up my mistakes. Maybe fig leaves can cover for a little while, but they can't sustain because they're dying as well. And the problem is, fig leaves don't remove sin. They only cover it for a little while. You see, because there's no morning after pill for sin. You see, we need the blood of Jesus to wash us clean. That's the only thing that works. The only thing that works to clean us from our mistakes is the blood of Jesus. And, and, and many of us won't turn to the blood because it exposes us to who we are. And I don't want to see that mirror. Done too much. And Jesus keeps looking at me and showing me me. If I could just deal with me without seeing me. So yes, the enemy wants to to you to try to hide your sin. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I'm glad Jesus says this in John 3, 15 and 17. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Then he came in when there was doubt and hurt and frustration. He came in to raid what was left because he thought your God had left you alone by yourself. But then he realizes that you haven't been left alone. You only thought you were alone. He only thought you were alone. And I listened to Elijah say, I am all alone and no one is here with me, even though he walked away from his support system. Come on. Did you walk away from your support system and then cry about being alone? Did God have to say, oh, hold on, brother, didn't you know that I have set apart a remnant for me? Matter of fact, you could be leading that remnant right now, but look where you are in here. Matter of fact, how did you get? Maybe we should be asking ourselves that same question today. And the enemy is the raider of your soul. He's here to steal what's left. So 2020 stole a bunch of things from you, took a bunch of things, took your confidence, took your joy, tried to take your family, and now you're sitting here and you're ready to give up what's left. And Elijah... Elisha is dead. The king went to him in desperate need of a word, and now his father is dead. Elisha represents the promise, the promise that was given to him. 
He said, you're going to strike three times. You're going to win some battles. But now, he's dead. And so, the promise looks dead. And instead of trying to build on the promise, let's just throw some more dead things on top of it. Not only that, but here comes the raider to steal what's left. <laughs> That's the enemy for you. He stole some things in 2020. But I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. God is saying, come alive, church. Come alive, Shauna. Come alive. Come alive. There's some things that, that are not yet dead. There's some things that are still alive. And you keep holding them as dead, but they are alive. Come alive. Look at somebody and say, come alive. Come alive. You've been laying dormant for so long. You are not dead. Come alive. Come alive. You are not dead yet. Come alive. Because God has made some promises to Elisha. And Elisha is dead and buried along with the dreams of a king that wanted freedom for his people. For many of us, we saw so much loss and we continue to see it. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So they did like most of us do, they buried their dead. They buried their dreams. They buried their promises. They buried them because they said this one's not going to come true. And they were going to graduate. Not getting my kids back. My marriage is done. They just began to bury. And everything else that looked like it was dead, they began to put on top of everything else. And they just begin to bury stuff, to bury things, to bury things. And I wonder how many things have you buried in the last year that was not really dead? We saw so much loss and we continue to see it. And they buried their dead. And they buried a man just like you buried your dreams. And hey, they begin to put their hammers down and they stopped building. And they stopped growing and they stopped showing that they had a heart for the things of God because they saw God as being dead as well. That's the question for you today. Have you put your hammer down? God said he rebuild. Have you laid down to die when God said come alive? God gave me this last night. He said this message is to be applied to the people's life, but he also said this is to be applied to the church. Because there are some things that died in 2020, and some people have lost their passions. So the first point that I want to give you this morning is we need to rebuild. We need to rebuild. You see, I've learned some things about rebuilding. Any carpenters in the, in the house, anybody like to rebuild? Say, I don't rebuild things, right? You're a carpenter. You rebuild things, right? Uh, and one of the things I've learned about rebuilding is sometimes rebuilding things looks destructive. Mm -hmm. 
In order to rebuild the new countertop, you got to destroy the last one. Right? right? So you got to walk in with the sledgehammer. And you got to take down what was put up that is now dying and, and corrosive. And there's some things in your life that are corrosive. Matter of fact, there's some people that have been corrosive. And, and, and it looks like, like, like you want to put something new there. And God is saying, in order for me to put something new there, what's laying there has to be destroyed. You have left it there and it became an altar. Mm. And anytime I need to rebuild something, the old altar has to be destroyed. So, so if you're gonna re, you're gonna have to build something, you're gonna have to destroy what you've been worshiping. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was the problem in the Old Testament because God would try to bring something new to the people, but they would want to keep up their old yeah. altars just in case. Mm. Yeah. God would want to come into a new realm. And they would want to bring him in, but they want to keep that old altar up just in case. He said, see, God is not going to be a just in case God. Amen. Yes. Right. yes. He's not going to be that way. It's not going to happen. He's not going to be an either or. He's not going to be that type of God that just sits there. And, and, and if he don't, he, you can go to the other one. He's not going to, you're not going to let you play it safe with him. No, if you're going to accept him, you're going to accept him, all of him. And you're going to have to tear down what was the old thing. So he says that what looks like rebuilding is going to have to look destructive in the beginning. You're going to have to take the sledgehammer to what was before and tear down some things that you worshiped before him. So take the sledgehammer to those old things, those old people, those old ways of thinking. Ah, those old ways of thinking, the way I thought about people, the way I think about things, the way I even think about myself. I got to take a sledgehammer to those things and tear them down. So God can rebuild the way that I think about things, the way that I see people, the way that I see myself. Come on. Come on. I need him to rebuild me. Say rebuild me. Take a sledgehammer so I can rebuild. God needs to rebuild some things in you and you haven't let him yet. And God says, remove the duct tape and let it go. Oh, you're just holding on to that thing by duct tape. Yeah. It's just rocking and rolling. You can't put nothing on it. But you're holding on. Remove the duct tape. Let it go so God can rebuild the thing. Amen? Amen. That's a word for you. That's a word for the church. So so God brought Nehemiah to my attention. He says, he said, Nehemiah was a man that needed to rebuild some things that was torn down. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. And so, so he comes to him and he, he's downcast because God has placed a burden on his heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so, so he goes to him and the king is like, what are you looking like that for? And so he, when you come around the king, you can't look like that. <laughs> you can't look like all downcast and all sad and everything. You're not gonna change. You're not gonna change the atmosphere up in here. You don't have to keep it smiling, right? And, and so he was bold enough to come in there looking all frustrated and, and, and upset. So he comes in there, and the king is like, "What's going on with you?" He said, "I don't know how I'm gonna be able to do this. I don't know how I'm gonna be able to smile when I know when some things in my life have been crumbling and have been falling down. And God has placed it on my heart to rebuild some things. 
and God placed it on the king's heart to send him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah 4, chapter 15, and the king sends him, he says in the 16th verse, so it was from that time on that half of the servants worked the construction while the other half held spears and shields and bows and armor and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah, those who built on the wall and those who carried the burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked the construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Yeah. And every one of the builders had his sword girded in his side as he built. And one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. You see, he needed to put a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other. Yes. If you're going to rebuild some things, you better have a sword in one Come hand. On. And a hammer in the other. You see, because some people are not going to want you to rebuild what was torn down. That's right. They're not going to want you to rebuild your life. Because they got so used to it being in shambles. And they get off on it being in shambles. You see what I'm saying? So they look for it to be in shambles because they get satisfaction off your life being the way it is. Oh, you better think about it. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Because yes. they're looking at it and they get satisfaction off on it. Matter of fact, it makes their life look good. Yes. Oh, it makes their life look so good. They can sit back and they say, I made it. At least I'm better than that. But you see, they don't know. They don't know who's rocking with you. That's right. Come on. They don't know who's rocking with you. And as you rebuild it, you better keep you better keep that sword in one hand and you better keep the hammer in the other. And as you rebuild it, you see the problem is this. We let people come into our lives, people that really don't have our interest, and they just don't want to see you doing well. Because they don't have the imagination, the talent, or the wisdom or the faithfulness to step out. So we find in the fourth chapter that people have heard what Nehemiah is doing and they are unhappy. So here comes Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Gerson. And they make plans to attack them. So what does Nehemiah do? He prepares for them. You need to be prepared for the enemy. You see, here comes the raiders. These are the raiders. They come in to destroy what's left. They don't want to see the rebuilding. So they come in to destroy. But he's ready for them. He said, you see, because he already knew they were coming. You need to understand that the raiders are coming. And you need to know when they're coming. So you need to be prepared. And, And when they come, the second thing I need you to understand is to not get distracted by opposition. Don't get distracted by opposition. There will always be opposition. You see, from the beginning of obedience, Nehemiah faced ridicule from Sambala, Tobiah, and his sympathizers. Lies were being spoken against him. And the pesky contingent opposed the fact that he was rebuilding the walls. You see, people are contesting the fact that you are rebuilding the walls. And Nehemiah took note of his enemies, but their opposition did not deter him. Are the opposition in your life deterring you from rebuilding? Are they stopping you from doing what God has called you to do? 
Because people will talk. What do they say? The streets is talking. Mm-hmm. They're going to talk. And they're going to say, I dare her rebuild. Mm-hmm. I dare her try to get her life together. Mm-hmm. Do she know what she did? Mm-hmm. Do he know what he did? I dare them. That's your opposition talking. That's bitterness talking. (laughs) That's anger talking. That's not even them. That's not even them. That's the hardness of their heart talking. And you know what? Let them talk. Let them talk. You see, because God will handle that. God will handle that. You just continue to do what God is telling you to do. You see, sometimes we stop and we start getting in our own stuff. And we say, you know what? I'm just going to hold back for a little while. I'm just going to stop. You know, so, you know, just let God talk to me and let him tell me what I'm supposed to do next. And in the military, they tell you, do what your last orders were. That's right. Amen. Right. They say, do what your last orders was. They tell you that if you don't, in the absence of in newer orders, you do what the last thing you was told to do. What did God tell you to do the last time? You keep doing that thing. Amen? Don't get distracted by position. So look, in 6th chapter, 1st and 2nd verse, it says, Now, now it happened when Sambal, Tobiah, and Gershom, the heir, and the rest of the enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall. You see, the, the wall is now rebuilt. <laughs> And that there are no breaks left in it. Although at times I had hung the doors in the gate. That Samballot and Gershom sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent them messages to them saying, Oh no. Oh no. I am doing a great work. So that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? All you need to look at somebody and say, why should the work cease? I am doing a mighty work right here. I'm doing a mighty work rebuilding what was torn down. I'm doing a mighty work rebuilding the walls of my life that was torn down. I'm doing a mighty work doing what God told me to do. Why should I stop the work to come down to talk mess with you? Oh, no. Look at somebody and say, oh, no. Oh, no, my sister. Oh, no, my brother. I don't got time nor the energy to deal with your nonsense. I got stuff to do. So I have to admit, here comes my issue. Here are three things that causes trouble for Nehemiah, and they actually want me. You see, see, three people that cause trouble for Nehemiah. See, this is the problem that I have. They actually want me. You see, they didn't like me, but now they like me. You see, they saw me build something, and now they want me to come hang out with them. They want me to come hang out with them. You see, they don't even know how smart I am, and they know how efficient I am as a worker, and and so now they they want my you know probably want me to talk about some things and maybe they got a wall they could be want me to help them build or something. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it. Isn't that I guess? Mm-hmm. We just want to be accepted. Yeah. We just want to be wanted. 
Even though they wanted to tear me down last week and they even had a hit out on me. You know what I mean? But now they want me. What are they going to hang out with me? Oh, no. If you ain't want me yesterday. Come on. Don't be calling me today. You better pray on that, Amy. You better pray. Because sometimes people just have ulterior motives. They don't want you. They want what you can do. Oh, come on. Right? And if you just want what I can do, you don't want me. Because I bring other issues to the table. <laughs> Ain't that right? Oh, you want what I can do? You better be ready for this mouth too. You better be ready to talk about God. You better be ready to deal with, with all the stuff that, that you're doing wrong that I ain't going to sit back and, and just deal with. No, you better be ready for all of me. That's right. That's right. Amen. I'm not going to sugarcoat it because you want to be my friend now. No, it's not going to work. No, becomes really hard to say when you don't know your worth. And sometimes, and time again, we say yes when we should not. Often at the expense of what God has told us to do. The third thing that I need you to understand, what God is telling us to do in this season is to stand up straight. Yes. Stand up straight. He says, he says, I need you, I need you to rebuild. I need you not to get distracted by opposition. I need you to stand up straight. Luke 13, chapter 10, verse. This is so good. Jesus. He says, now he's teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hand on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. The Bible says this woman had a spirit of infirmity that caused her to walk bent over for 18 years. 18 years. Can you imagine the pain she must have been in? 18 years. What you doing, Kane? Eighteen years. Scholars believe the illness she had is similar to what doctors call Marie Strumpel's disease. It's a fusion of the spinal bones. Um, this, this, uh, this time the disease had a spiritual cause rather than an organic cause. But according to the Merrick Manual, the disease is a chronic progressive form of arthritis distinguished by inflammatory and stiffness. And in some patients, even it begins to fuse the joints, especially in the spine. 
But orally in the course of the disease, sufferers often find that their pain is relieved when they lean forward. Because standing straight begins to hurt. You see, nothing is stopping them from standing straight except pain. This is what unforgiveness is like. Just the pain of unforgiveness makes you lean over a little bit. You just throw a little resentment on top of that a little more. You begin to lean over a little more because the pain of standing up straight is just too much to, to bear. And this is what sin is like because Sin is painful and it makes you bend over a little more because standing up straight begins to be too painful and too hard to do. So you begin to bend over a little more. This is how spiritually we begin to hurt. And spiritually we begin to just lean over till we've doubled what we were at one point. And the more we lean over and the longer we lean over, the bones begin to fuse. Before we know it, we're like this for 18 years. This is sin. You know, throughout the Bible, God talks about the straight and narrow path. Oh, it's not easy. not easy to be stand up straight and it's painful at times all I can do is lean forward to just ease the pain a little bit but the more I lean forward to ease my pain the more pain I'm in and the more issues I'm getting into because now I'm stuck in a predicament that I didn't want to be stuck in. And Jesus sees her. And he realizes that this is just not an organic medical issue. He says that she has a spirit of infirmity on her. That there is a spirit and a spirit of infirmity usually means that there was sin that creeped in somewhere. That there was sin that snuck in and a sin that began to just slowly creep away and begin to eat at her. Oh, this is some of the problems that we've been stuck in for so long that sin began to eat at us. And now we're bent over. Jesus calls us over, calls her over. Aren't you so glad Jesus calls us over? Yes. He calls us over to him. And the first thing he does is he looses her from the spirit. First thing he does is he looses her from the spirit. I love Jesus. 
He's always on the job even when he shouldn't be. Look at what he says. That Jesus saw her and he calls her to him and says to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hand on her and immediately she was made straight. The first thing he does is he heals her from the spirit of infirmity. Then he lays his hands on her and heals her from the disease. You see, the first thing we want to do is we want healing from the disease. We want to be healed from what's hurting us first. Would you just heal me? I got this this pitch right here. And you know, it's like, right there. You know, when I walk right there, everything starts pushing. <laughs> and you see my eye twist a little bit too. When they, no. Right? I just need healing right there. Just, just fix that right there, Jesus. Just fix that right there. You know, <laughs> and we want Jesus just to fix that. But oh, if He would just fix everything else yes. that's going on inside of me, if He'll fix the unforgiveness, yeah. He'll fix the hate, and He'll begin to fix the pornography, and, yeah. and He'll fix all the other things that's inside of me. Yeah. Then maybe everything else will begin to fall in line. But you want to fix all the exterior stuff. want to fix the beautification and stuff. But you don't want the heart fixed. You want your spirit fixed. Don't you know that the raider is coming in to steal what's left of your soul? The raider wants what's left of your soul. And Jesus is trying to heal that first. He says you're loosed. You're loosed from the attack of the enemy. You're loosed from this hole. You're loosed from everything that he's been trying to do to you. 18 years of the attack of the enemy, I loose you from it. Whatever you're going through this morning, God says, I want to loose you from it. He calls her to himself. Galatians 5.13 says, for you were called to freedom. Don't you know you've been called to freedom? You've been called to freedom. He loosed her from spiritual infirmity, then he healed her body. And look what she did. The Bible says she glorified God. This is some of our issues. We see we don't glorify God. After he's done something magnificent in us, I've seen people call to this altar, and, and God will touch them. They'll be healed, and they'll walk right back to their seat and cross their legs. How hard you must, we must be to see a mighty move of God hmm. and then cross our legs to what he's just done. Come on. Have we gotten so used to seeing the miracles of God that we no longer revel in his majesty? Have we gotten so used to seeing him operate in the spirit and then have no, no longer see the awe of him? What has happened in the church that we no longer reference his spirit? The fourth thing, and Cole, you can come back. The fourth thing that I want you to know tonight, this morning, is that God wants you to come alive. 
Say, come alive. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive, church. Come alive. Look what he says in Elisha. In 2 Kings 13, chapter 20 and first. Then Elisha died. You see, the king goes to him. He doesn't understand what to do with the Syrian army. He's confused. And Elisha tells him to shoot his arrow out the east window. He shoots his arrows. And afterwards, Elisha dies. And he buried him along with what they thought was they were burying their promises. And raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of that year. So it was that they were burying a man. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly. Yes. They spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. They didn't even have time to finish burying him. They saw the raiders come. And the only thing they could think of was just to throw him in the grave with the promise. Let's just throw him in the grave with the promise. Throw him in the grave with the bones that were left from the rest of the promises that were given to us. Throw him in the grave with the rest of 2020 and everything that we went through. And when the man was let down, something amazing happened. The Bible says he just touched the bones of Elisha. Somebody said he touched the promise. And see, something happened when he touched the promise. Something happened when he touched the promise. That there was still power in the promise. There was still some electricity going on in the promise. There was still life in the promise. That when he just touched the bones of the promise. The Bible says he revived and stood up on his feet. I need you to know today that those promises are still alive. Oh, they're still alive. They're still alive. Come on, I'm talking better than what you're getting praise for right now. Those promises are still alive. They're still alive and going right now. What you thought was dead is alive. And all you got to do is throw the rest of those things on top of the promises of God. And guess what? All of them will live of the one promise that God has given you. The promise is this. You shall live and not die. You shall live and not die. God said your promise is not dead. Your marriage is not dead. The fact that the Raiders are still coming proves that there's still something. The Raiders are coming proves that there is something of worth still alive. The fact that the Raiders are still coming proves that there is something still worth Otherwise, the Raiders would not come. Let them come. Let them come. Them coming proves that there is something alive here. Them coming proves that there is 
something of value here. There's something of worth here. There's something that people still want here. And if they want it, I'm going to keep it. You better believe it, baby. They want it, I'm keeping it. As soon as he touched what represents the promise, the man came back alive. The Bible said he stood up on his feet. Would you stand up on your feet right now? I'm going to live no matter what. Psalms 118, 17, and 18. I love this verse. It says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely. You got to hear this 18th verse. The 18th verse. This is going to be my verse. He says, the Lord has chastened me severely. But he has not given me over to death.